listening to the official podcast of the Mission Redlands. We are a growing community living out God's radical love. Well, good morning, church. Good to be here. Um, for those of you that hear often, you know that I don't speak that often, but I really do. I see it as a privilege uh, to be able to share with you today, uh, share with you um, what God's been sharing me over the last two to three um, weeks as I prepared for this. It's interesting. Last night we were up at Big Bear during the day and uh, came down the mountain late in the afternoon. And there's, you know, you see the the plume of smoke, and we pull up in our yard, and there's. Uh, ash all over the other car, and it was, uh, you know, just the air quality was horrible, so um, I, I, we, after a little while of being home, we were like, oh, we got to get away from this, so we get in the car, we thought, we'll go east and get out to Beaumont, sort of away from the direction that the smoke was going, we get out there, and, you know, I, I was needed to practice going through the sermon, so there I am sitting in the uh, parking lot at Super Walmart, uh, sitting in the car, uh, practicing the sermon, and uh, Jody did suggest to me that I could do a little open-air preaching, so right in front of everyone that, that's uh, there. I said, you know, the whole series is about why church, so if you want to hear the message, you had to come here today, so I couldn't give him any surprises yesterday. But I thought, you know, the reality is, if this is going to be like one of those old-fashioned fire and brimstone messages, I mean, talk about amazing. You have ash coming down out of the air. It gets you thinking about stuff, right? <laughs> Um, so we've been looking at this series, though, on why church. And sort of we have this idea about church, and sometimes it's messed up. Our view of church is messed up by the messed up churches that we see around us. And it's sort of given us this negative impression of church, this idea of it being populated by hypocrites or not taking stands on things, issues that should take stands on or taking too much of a stand on issues that should, shouldn't be taking so much of a stand on. So we've been looking at a church on this whole topic um, and in week one, uh, Ricardo uh, took a look at this topic and he said, showed us that the church is not a building, but a family of believers. That we don't get up on Sunday morning and go to church. We are the church. And it requires a different mindset that God works in us uh, through the church. And then last week, Pastor Jason spoke and he really looked at what we saw as this model for unity that took place in the early church. So we looked at Acts chapter 2 and looked at this church that was able to live out this kind of radical love that made a transformational difference in the community around them. We're going to do something that we don't normally do, sort of right in the middle of the uh, sermon, as it were. But I am going to uh, share one verse that will help you understand what the connection is. So last week's message was on Acts chapter 2. And in that passage, uh, we've specifically looked at Acts 2.42. If you might remember what that verse said, it says, And they devoted, meaning these new Christians, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. So they are dedicated to the breaking of bread. And this morning, we're going to break bread together as a community. So Jesus Christ, the night before he was crucified, set up an ordinance of the church, set up a, um, a remembrance that we do fairly regularly as a church uh, that helps us remember the purpose of what he was going to be going through in that next 24-hour period. 
So in a moment, we're going to partake together in communion. Um, the way communion works at our church, if you're a believer, a follower of Christ, you're welcome to participate in it with us, even if it's your first time here today. You'll come forward on both sides of the uh, sanctuary. Uh, there's a small piece of bread there and a cup of juice, and each of them carries great significance. Uh, the bread, uh, Christ set this up as a recognition of the breaking of his own body. So God came to earth uh, as Jesus Christ, his son, and uh, lived in a human form. And that body hung on a cross on our behalf. So in taking that bread, that's a remembrance of what Christ did for us. And then the cup is a reminder that Christ's blood was shed. And in that shedding of blood, it, it met that requirement that God had uh, for, for man, that our sins, the bad things that we do, could only be covered uh, by that blood. And that blood it was from the perfect sacrifice of Jesus Christ. So as we, Chris is going to play for us, and as we participate now in this communion service, remember what Jesus Christ has done on our behalf. And we, we've been doing this as a church uh, for a thousand, couple thousand years now. And it's just a great way through what Christ has done to remember uh, what he has done for us. Let's pray. God, we thank you that 2,000 plus years ago, uh, you sent your son to earth to make possible our relationship with you. Uh, Lord, your son lived a sinless, perfect life, and um, even now is at your right hand making intercession for us, making this prayer possible to you, Lord. And as we remember what he did on our behalf through the celebration of communion, I just would ask that each one of us would be touched in our own hearts and minds uh, with that memory. Uh, that we'd recognize the great sacrifice that you made on our behalf. We thank you for this. In Christ's name, amen. So just feel free to come forward as you feel comfortable and partake in communion. Thank you, Lord, for providing your son for us. So today we're going to be looking at another aspect of why church it's the fact that God has set it up so that something happens in church uh, that he wants to have happen in us that cannot really take place in any other kind of setting. That something happens to us in the context of church that can't happen without it. I'm going to share just a couple stories with you. Uh, probably, maybe it was about 12 years ago. Um, I don't know what had happened, if we'd lost keys in the car or had a car that broke down. Whatever the story was, I ended up, I was riding a cab to work. And um, this cab driver pulls up, it was here in Southern California, it was about 8 to 10 miles from work. And uh, he was a rough dude. And he um, just starts talking with me and his language was rough. And he's telling me stories that were really rude. And, uh, you know, all, we come all the way to where I worked. I actually worked at a Christian organization at the time. And... Um, we pull up, and you could just see him just sort of change as he pulls up in the driveway of a place where I worked at. He goes, oh, I'm a Christian too. And I'm thinking, oh, really? That's interesting. He goes, yeah, I accepted Christ uh, many years ago at this rally. And, uh, and I thought to myself as I was thinking about even getting ready for this message, oh, that's interesting. You know, had accepted Christ. His faith was probably an inch deep, but hadn't really grown in his relationship with God. So let's remember that story as we go through today. Then the second story for you, um, earlier this week, Jody was in a conversation with some, a couple of her coworkers, and um, they were talking about God, and uh, in the context, one of the uh, uh, young guys said, yeah, I believe in God, and um, oh, really, you're a part of a church? 
well, no, I don't really go to church. I really believe in God on my own terms. As I was thinking about that story, I thought, man, we, we all tend to that a little bit. We want to believe in God on our own terms. And I thought, you know, and, and there's an element of that that's quite ignorant about how relationships work. And um, 30 years ago, I was dating my wife, and um, I was, you know, the typical maybe almost 20-something uh, young man who wanted to have that relationship on my own terms. And it wasn't working very well. It was not the way to do it, guys. And um, I needed to have it on her terms. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, but, but the relationship wasn't going well because I wanted it to be on my terms. And uh, I remember uh, specifically in one conversation, Jody said, dating you is like taking the wrong major in college. Um, I was, this was not a good thing. And, um, and I had to grow and, learn and change in order to make that relationship be successful. So it doesn't work in our relationship when we try to have a relationship in our own terms. It's the same with God. The second aspect of that that I thought of this whole thing of having, uh, having a relationship with God on our own terms is the arrogance that's involved in that, right? Here's the God of the universe, the all-powerful creator, uh, the one who sustains life, who made everything that we see around us, and we're these puny human beings, um, six, seven billion of us, whatever there is on the planet, uh, broken people, messed up, uh, you know, all these problems, and we're going to have uh, that pride that says, God, we only want to have a relationship with you by our terms. Think of what that God has done for us. The only reason it's possible for us to have a relationship with him, uh, he can't have sin in his presence. The only reason it's possible for us to have a relationship with him is because he made it possible. He sent his son, son lived a sinless, perfect life, died on the cross on our behalf, took on himself in that position on the cross, our own sins, and makes possible that relationship with him. And we're going to have the arrogance to say, hey, I only want to have this relationship with you on my terms. Um, That's a challenging thought to think about because when you look at Scripture closely and you think about what what we've gone over these last two or three weeks in this sermon series, you realize that God's terms for our relationship with him happen in the context of, of church. We're going to see that as we look at a couple of scripture passages uh, today. Uh, we're going to begin by looking at Ephesians chapter 4, 11 through 16. This is going to be our main passage of the day. I think it'll be brought up on the screen behind us too, maybe. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, bud. <laughs> um, we have people covering a lot of different roles back there today. Um, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of God, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes." Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So looking back at the beginning of that passage, he talks about he, meaning God, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers. Um, So in this context of the church, 
God has gifted certain individuals. He's given certain roles. And this fits with our understanding of this principle, the body principle. And in a moment, I think the passage from 1 Corinthians will come up on the screen. But just to help you understand what this means, just think about our own human bodies. They're made up of, you know, hands and feet and ears and a nose and a mouth and ligaments and joints and all these parts of our body all work together and they create one body. Uh, that picture is used. It's used in this passage in Ephesians and it's used in this passage in 1 Corinthians as well to give this understanding of the church too. God has gifted each one of us. Each one of us has certain gifts and abilities that we bring into the context of church that we live out in that context of church and the body is not whole when some of those parts are not doing what they're supposed to be doing. Um, this passage in 1 Corinthians actually goes on after the, the part that you can read up there and talks about, hey, if the hand says, I don't want to be a hand, I want to be a foot instead, things don't work, right? It wouldn't work in our human body. It doesn't work in the church as well. So going back to what we read in Ephesians, first point that I have for you, it is only in the context of church where we get the full benefits of the different gifts and roles that God has established. So God set up individuals to serve as shepherds, as teachers, as evangelists, as prophets. And it's only in this context of church that we get the full benefits of those gifts and roles. So what is the purpose of their work? Um, Looking again at that Ephesians passage uh, in verse 12, it says to equip the saints for works of ministry. Let's understand what that says. Equip means to prepare, to outfit, to uh, teach, to have them ready to do. So to equip the saints. The saints are anyone that's a follower of Christ, anyone that's a believer, anyone that's a Christian. So it's to equip the saints for works of ministry. And the works of ministry is simply that the, those places where, where we become the hands and feet of Christ, serving out, living out that radical love in that community around us for the purpose of building up the body of Christ, the full uh, sense of church. And why does it work that way? Towards what end? Uh, we see this in verse uh, 13. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith, into the knowledge of the Son of God. There's that word unity again. Unity just means standing together, uh, being committed together to something. And in this case, it's this idea of faith that's worked out. And then it says, in the knowledge of God. So remember talking about God. God's infinite, right? He's, it's impossible to understand God in his fullness. And uh, however, as we uh, live under the teaching of those individuals that God has given, the teachers, the prophets, the evangelists, and so on, as we live that context out in this church life, we begin to more and more understand who God is. And in that understanding, we're more and more able to live uh, the way that he wants us to live, to gain this knowledge of who he is. And it goes on to explain why that's important, uh, the outcome of that. In the second half of verse 13, it says, to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no, may no longer be children. So the idea, the conclusion, what it's trying to do is to bring us to being mature. I want to spend the rest of my time today talking about this concept of maturity. Uh, what does it mean? I want to start by answering the question, why is it important? Why do we need to become mature as Christians? Isn't it enough that I've accepted Christ as Savior? Well, let's look at... Uh, Colossians 1.28, if you don't want to turn there, it will just come up on the screen uh, behind me as well. But in Colossians 1.28, it's Paul uh, talking, and he says, Him, meaning Christ, we proclaim, 
warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. So here's the prophet, uh, the apostle Paul, and he's describing why he does everything he does. All of his ministry is all built around uh, helping people become mature believers. That's how important it is to the apostle Paul. Um, I think our tendency in our evangelical churches today is that we're so focused on having people get saved or make a decision for Christ or, um, and those are, that's extremely important. But if that's where it stops, we're missing the point of what Paul's sharing in this passage. Paul, who led thousands of people to Christ, says it wasn't all about whether somebody accepted Christ or not. I'm not selling fire insurance, right? This is something real that goes out of being a real relationship where we grow and mature in it. And he says a whole purpose, everything that I'm doing is all about helping people become mature. And it's the idea of it is that we don't just stand in place. We're not static once we become a Christian. We grow in that relationship with God, or we should be growing in that relationship with God. So if it's that important that Paul dedicated his whole ministry to becoming mature, we better try to understand it a little bit more. And what I want to start with first is what's this mindset? How does the mature person think? And we see this in uh, Philippians chapter 3. Verse 15. And it says here, let those of us who are mature think this way. What is this way? Let's look back a little bit and we can see that. Uh, In verse 12, it sort of explains what he's talking about. It says, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, so to grow. Um, And it's this Going on again in verse 15, let those of us who are mature think this way, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that to you also. Amen. So maturity comes with this sense that we haven't already attained, that we aren't completed, that we're still a work in progress. The idea of it is that the mature Christian does not believe that we're all that, right? The whole understanding of who we are as Christians uh, is that we recognize uh, we are who we are because of the work of Christ in our lives, the continuing work of Christ in our lives. Um, so that's, that mindset has to be, um, is, is extremely important for those if you want to be a mature believer. So then what does it mean to be a mature Christian? What does that concept entail? We're going to look at Hebrews chapter 5. And we're going to see that there's a couple key markers of what it means to be mature, starting in verse 11. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 11. About this we have much to say, and it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, I've got to explain what dull of hearing is. So I'm 48 now, and I was feeling like, um, I was feeling like, you know, my hearing wasn't very good. My family had complained about it on a few occasions. So I make an appointment through my primary care to go to an audiologist, to go to the audiologist. You go through all this testing with him. He comes back into the room with me and he says, um, there's nothing mechanically wrong with your ears. It's your hearing that's a problem. So it turned out I wasn't listening very well to my wife and my kids. So that was the real issue there. So that's the kind of problem that exists here. There's nothing wrong with our hearing. We've become dull of hearing, meaning that we're not listening, right? So, verse 12, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. 
Verse 13, for everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. We can stop there. So there's two key markers that this passage identifies for individuals to be uh, considered mature. First of all, it says they are skilled in the word of righteousness. They read God's word. They work to understand God's word. Uh, They don't misuse God's word. They don't twist God's word to make it mean what they want to have it mean. Uh, They are not simply focused on salvation or basic teachings, but have gone and grown beyond those things. So that's that first marker of the mature individual, is that they're skilled in the word of righteousness. The second thing it says here is that the powers of discernment are honed. Um, We see that in verse 14, the second half of it, where they have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice. They can distinguish good from evil. To me, this is one of the biggest keys of maturity. When I read an article, watch a movie, read a book, watch the news, I'm looking at it trying to be discerning. I'm asking myself, in the question, asking myself the question, what does this say about the world? Um, does this reflect the world for the way the world really is? Um, can I attempt to look at this article, book, movie, music, whatever it is, and see it the way that God sees it? Media that reflects the world for the way the world really is can see the world as broken, lost, and messed up, but would see us as human beings as still having value, that we're made in the image of God, and that's what gives us value. The media may not see it that way, but that's how we as Christians can understand it. Um, The media that reflects the world for the way the world really is sees human beings as still capable of some good because we all share in common grace we all have the, uh, the reality that we've been made in God's image. Uh, media that shows the world the way the world really is uh, shows that me- humans' lives have purpose. The decisions that we make make a difference in the world around us. Um, there's a lot that could be said on this topic. It's a, it's a deep one, and there's a lot to it. Uh, but the biggest thing I would challenge you to do is to uh, really seek to be discerning uh, in your own lives, particularly, I think, in a, our culture today that's so media-centric. Um, and I think, you know, the basic level of that is maybe to look at things and say, hey, this has a lot of language in it that I shouldn't be uh, listening to, or a lot of, um, you know, things that are sexually inappropriate I shouldn't be filling my mind with. But it even challenge you beyond that to think about it um, in terms of this whole idea of what does it say about the world around us? Does this reflect the world for the way the world really is? And uh, for... Carlos and Ricardo, my you know, nerd compatriots here, this is why I prefer um, Captain America over Iron Man. So there you go, right? So, so th- this somehow worked into this message, somehow. Um, I want to finish with this. We're going to go back and look at that Ephesians passage again. And I don't know if, you, uh, capable, if we can bring it up on the screen behind us again, but um, looking again at that Ephesians passage and just looking at how it finishes, because I think it really wraps this up well for us. And it says at the verse 15, Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So it's describing this idea of what it means to be mature. And twice it uses this concept of being built up in love. 
Maturity is not about having all the answers. Maturity, Christian maturity is not about being judgmental, of being condescending to those who we see as being less mature. Um, rather, it's about speaking the truth in love, of being able to tell people how things really are, but doing so in a manner that's winsome and engaging, that demonstrates the genuine love that we have for them. Um, as I close today, one of the biggest things I would challenge you with is this growing and having that desire to mature, of recognizing, yes, I've accepted Christ as Savior, but he wants me to grow, he wants me to mature. And that as I mature, I have this desire to understand his word rightly, and I have a desire to see and uh, be able to discern good from evil. Um, and the worship team, I think, is going to be coming back up here in a second, but I... Um, just looked a couple weeks ago, Ricardo read this verse, and there was just one thought that I wanted to close with today. And it was in Ephesians chapter 5, so just a couple, a chapter beyond where we were looking at. It says, husbands, love your wives. And then it does, does, gives a description of that, as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So let's just be really clear as we think about this, this whole series has been on why church. Christ loved the church so much that he died for her. Died for the church. And you and I, sometimes we can't even get up on Sunday morning for church, right? Think about the level, the extent to which God loves the church and what our own reaction to is in, uh, in comparison to that. So I'll just leave you with that thought. Let's pray. God, our desire um, is to be mature, uh, to come to understand your word, to recognize good from evil, Lord. Um, we know that there's something that happens in church uh, that's your plan, that's your desire, that as we sit under your teaching, as we uh, see and live out while each other person is fulfilling the roles that you've given them, that something happens to us in that process that helps us become mature. Lord, I thank you for that. I just thank you for the people in this church that play such that kind of role even in my own life. And Lord, as we go out today, I just would ask that each person here would seek and want to grow in their relationship and become mature believers. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. podcast of the Mission Redlands. For more information, visit us at themissionredlands.com.